0: Good morning. Last Sunday we were trying to open all the windows and doors to let the cool air morning air in, and today we're trying to keep it all closed to keep the smoke out. We can't uh, can't make up our minds, I guess. I want to. The first thing I wanted to do today is put up uh, some pictures of a few current events, and I thought I'd address that first off because. You know by now that I I don't frequently address current events from the pulpit uh, on Sunday mornings. And uh, there's there's very specific reasons for that. That's not by accident. Um, Maybe the best way to explain that is to give an illustration. If you and I were going on a road trip to uh, Vancouver, we would encounter a lot of different things, possibly even different weather. We could start out at 18 degrees in Alberta. We could have snowfall in the high mountain passes. We could have 37 in uh, the interior of BC and, and uh, constant rain when we get to the coast. But not only the weather, we would encounter different kinds of geography which would require different things of our, of our car and everything else. And, um, but if you have a well-maintained dependable motor vehicle, it really doesn't matter what's happening outside of the vehicle. The all-wheel drive you ta- will take you up through the snow in the high pass, the air conditioning will keep you cool in Kelowna, and the, uh, and the, uh, the heater will keep you warm when it's cold, and the roof will keep you dry in the rain. And, uh, and you can just, if you have a well-maintained, good vehicle, What's happening outside of it really is not a large effect on on whether or not you're going to get where you're going and uh, whether that will be um, comfortable or not. Now, it's not that the weather doesn't affect you. Uh, If you forgot to bring a toque and you're filling up gas in Revelstoke when it's snowing, you probably wish you had. Or if you forgot to bring an umbrella and you're filling up gas in, in Chilliwack when it's pouring rain, you probably wish you had. But you'll get wet and you'll get back in the car and you'll dry off and turn the heat up and you'll be Okay. And so that's, that's kind of how I see my task standing here on Sunday mornings. I'm trying to build within our thoughts and our spirits and our minds and our interactions with each other on the eternal truths. The things that will be steady in our lives no matter what's happening in the winds of culture around us. And so it doesn't mean I'm not willing to or don't want to address current affairs. I just don't tend to do it on Sunday mornings. That's not my goal. I don't want our Sunday mornings to be blown by the winds of culture around us. I want us to stay focused on the eternal things and become solid on those eternal things so that we can weather whatever comes, whatever happens. We don't need the answers to every individual thing to stay steady on the course. And so that's that's I I don't feel I need to explain myself but but I just thought I'd give that insight because I want to put up these pictures uh, from Canada and the the thing and this is exactly the thing about that um by the time we come to this Sunday the pictures I chose already seem outdated in the news cycle how can you keep up But I think we've all had some internal thoughts uh when we see church buildings in Canada being burned down and being uh, vandalized in various different ways uh, because of current affairs. And I'm gonna be completely honest with you, I don't know what to do with this. I don't, I haven't figured it out. Uh, I'm a person who has on various occasions spent considerable amount of time, months at a time on uh, native reservations doing ministry there. I've known people personally, one-on-one firsthand uh, telling me about the effects of Canada's history on, the, on themselves and their people. I have great sympathy for that. Um, I would be lying if I didn't say it scares me that churches can be burned in Canada and we, we, we don't hear a large public outcry. Imagine if it was mosques or synagogues that were being desecrated, uh, how, how different it might be. Of course, we can't predict because we don't know if it would be different. I'm just t- trying to tell you, I, I don't know what to do with this. So if I was going to preach a sermon on our response to this, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'd have nothing to give you right now. I, I'm not far enough along in, in that to, to even know. But I bring that up simply because what I want to say is this. Just because I don't know how to deal with this current situation doesn't mean I don't know what we should do. I believe... It's not a mystery. It's not difficult for us to know as a church what to do and how to behave. So to to dive into that this morning, I want to uh, look at another fire. This one happened or began on July 19th of the year 64 AD. That's the day when the, the city to which all roads lead in the Roman Empire burned down. The city of Rome. Uh, The fire raged for three days out of control, continued to burn for I think nine days. Uh, 19 districts of the city burned to the ground. Absolutely devastating. Many, many hundreds of people died. Uh, it It was a big deal in the world at the time. News traveled more slowly, but it still had a huge impact. One of the impacts was that the officials of the time were able to shift the blame from themselves and their policies. To the Christian Church, and they blamed it on the Christians. The, Ro- the fire was the fault of the Christians, and the public accepted that as the explanation. And uh, though we know from the book of Acts and other historical accounts that there was persecution, local persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire uh, right from the beginning, it had never been universally accepted and from the top expected that Christians could become the scapegoat for anything. So when, when, the, when the, the emperor and the Roman government, the Roman city government were able to blame the Christians for the fire, everyone everywhere in the empire was given the green light to blame the Christians for whatever was going wrong. It's not the governor's fault, it's not the king's fault that the city's falling apart or the roads are in disrepair, it's the Christian's fault. And so uh, a period of time that was intensely difficult for the church began as a result of that fire. I think uh, by comparison, our fires are small and not having a big impact, but it makes us think about things. And so um, into this situation is what I believe Hebrews was written. One of the responses of Christians at th- that time, particularly Hebrew Christians, which was at least a large portion of the church at that time, uh, the Gentile Christians hadn't necessarily outnumbered the Jewish Christians by, by this time. Um, we don't know exactly, but a large portion of the church was Jewish. And what they were doing was they were saying, well, I can hold on to Jesus in my heart, but externally to the extra culture, I can just go back into all my Jewish traditions and join the synagogue and dress the way and keep the holidays and do all the things uh, of my previous cultural heritage and then I won't be targeted for this persecution. And after all, Paul and Peter and every, all the rest of them said the Old Testament law is good and, and should not be abolished, but it's just been fulfilled in Jesus. So in my own practice and in my own prayers, I can live out that fulfillment in Christ of the law while I'm doing the all the things of the of the Jewish tradition. And in that way, I'm not targeted for persecution because by this time, the Jewish, and the early on, Ju, the Christians were just seen by the Romans as a sect of Judaism, but by this time it was differentiated as a, as a separate thing. And uh, we know historically that that was probably a foolish strategy because in the year 70, the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was, uh, was annihilated by the Romans. But nevertheless, uh, in the intervening years, um, it, it seemed like a, a good strategy for Christians. Now, um, we don't know when he, who wrote he, Hebrews. I mean, there's various different uh, theories about that, but the book itself does not say who wrote it. Uh, we don't know exactly to whom it was addressed. Like, was it addressed to just Christians in general, all over the place, or was it addressed to us, to the Christians in Jerusalem who were very much moving back into Judaism? Or we don't know the answer to that. Um, and so it's kind of a bit of a guess, but, but, but I, I find it convincing that the topics in Hebrews match this historical context. And, um, and uh, it seems from within Hebrews that the temple, the actual physical temple was still standing, so it's before 70. And anyways, that's, I don't, we don't need to get into the details of that, but that's, that's where it fits in my mind, and, uh, and we're going to go with that today. So, so the general message of Hebrews, I believe, is very simply stated. And I can, I can begin with that. In Hebrews, God says, My son is better. Now, the language in Hebrews is a little more extreme than that. And, and often in commentaries and, and sermons, it's, you know, Jesus is superior to all other things, those kind of language. But I want to put this in language that you and I use on the street. We don't walk around and say, Well, my car is superior to your car. We say it's better. So that's language we understand that's language we use in Hebrews God says, "My son Jesus is better and so uh, so let's let's just think about that for, for a little bit um, Another thing about Hebrews is that uh, it's very difficult to say make an outline of Hebrews or to follow the argument uh, it's it doesn't easily divide itself into sections that you can preach this section and then this section and then this section. You know, Paul's writing is very much like that. If you get this argument, you have to understand that before you can move on to the next one, and, and it just builds on itself. But Hebrews is just much more free-flowing than that. It, it's, it's, like a, it's like a spoken word that just flows and moves and, and, uh, and changes, uh, like a speech, uh, maybe not like my speeches, but like a good speaker who just really lets it out, Um, and so to be honest, the, the best way to encounter Hebrews more than, I mean, I'd say this of every book of the Bible, but probably more than most of the others is to just read it through from start to finish. It hits you like a wave and it washes over you and you kind of wallow around in its, in its beauty and its weirdness. And, and, and then, and then you come out the other side and, and you're done. Hebrews, like, ah, I understand something about Jesus. I didn't know before. And then you read it again and the same thing happens again. It's, it's that kind of thing. So, so if you can manage it, read it all at once. Uh, just, just let it, just dive into its, its, its rhetoric and its, its language and its, its ebbing and flowing. And, and I think that's a valuable thing to do. So I don't have an outline. Um, I'm going to do something I haven't done with very many of these books. I'm going to focus all of our time today on just two verses. And I don't know even know if they're the key verses of Hebrews. They're just the verses I've chosen to, to dive into the book and then pull things from different parts of the book to understand these two verses. The ones I'm looking at, or I'm asking you to look at with me this morning, is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And yes, I know there's a typo in there. It's not hot. It's how. I just didn't feel like changing it this morning when I noticed it. But we got the graphic there anyways, and the words are on there. And and I I didn't choose that graphic necessarily because it's um, the best one. It certainly grips you, uh, makes you, draws your eyes in to to try to understand what's going on in the graphic. But I really chose it because it emphasizes without wavering as the most important part of the verse. And I think that's probably the most important message in Hebrews. People were wavering from their hold on Jesus Christ. And uh, the message of Hebrews is, Jesus is better, so hold fast to him. So let's just walk through it a little bit. We'll spend most of our time on that phrase, but we want to look at the rest of the verse as, verses as well. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. And that phrase, I truly believe, is, is, a, is, a, is meant to be a, a one-sentence or one-phrase summary of a lot of things. And people who read that phrase should understand that, that in their memory and in their understanding of the gospel, you bring into that phrase all of the understanding that comes with it. So what is the confession of our hope? There's so many different verses we could go to, but I chose 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3 to 5, to just kind of start to, to fill out what that means. What is it that we're holding on to, this confession of our hope? And Peter describes the confession of our hope this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So again, we could fill up, uh, some of you off the top of your heads, could add verses that help us understand what this living hope is. Uh, And and it's just the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the the things that, that that brings into our minds and our memories and our hearts, the things we commit to. So that's, that's, that's a, a phrase that's just meant to, to bring that all um, into focus for us. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Why? Why would this be something worth doing or even advisable? And the verse kind of moves into that area as well with these words, He who promised is faithful. Why would we hold on to the confession of our hope at, as opposed to other things, or or instead of other things, or rejecting other things? Because God is faithful. It's something we can hold on to that we know, as as I was talking about either either no matter be, earlier, no matter what's happening in the world around us, this is going to stay steady. We can go back into the Old Testament all the way from, from, uh, from Adam and Eve when they sinned and expected to be destroyed and God was faithful and loved them through that anyways, though he did keep his promises, which in their case was negative judgment and, and all of us as well. And we can come all the way through, even in the Babylonian exile, and we read the prophets and we read the stories in the history books and we put it all together in my, our minds and we see that God would have been okay to end it there. Because he was only fulfilling what he promised in the covenant. But he was faithful. And he loved them through it and brought them back to Jerusalem. And so anywhere you look in the Bible, then we can also look in our own lives, in our own histories. And maybe when we see the thing that's facing us right now, we think, I wanna, maybe Jesus isn't helping me. I, I just want to reach out with my other hand to other things that might be more steady. When we look back in our lives, we realize, no, it's when we held fast to our hope in Jesus Christ that we, that we made it through. He's faithful. So that's the reason we have all of history behind us to prove his faithfulness. So why would we expect he would be unfaithful tomorrow? He wouldn't. God is faithful so we can hold fast to the one thing. And then we get to that phrase without wavering. Without wavering. That's another word we don't use very often. I'm quoting from the King James because that's what the graphic has. Without wavering. Without swerving. Without compromise. This is where I think um, most of the rest of the writing in the book of Hebrews comes into this verse. Because it goes through a number of different ways that the people were wavering away from holding fast to their hope. And it explains why they should let go of their wavering and return fast to Jesus Christ. So um, we, can, we can look at that. I, I, I was wondering how we're going to get into that, and then I came across uh, a summary that Charles Swindoll wrote of the book of Hebrews, and I thought, I, I think we can use that. So this is from Charles Swindoll, the outline of my sermon. This is his summary of Hebrews. I think it's pretty good. Throughout its pages, Hebrews makes clear that Jesus Christ exceeds all other people, pursuits, objects, or hopes to which human beings offer allegiance. Hebrews pictures Jesus as better than the angels, as bringing better lives to humanity through salvation, as offering a better hope than the Mosaic Law could promise, as a better sacrifice for our sins than bulls or goats, and as providing a better inheritance in heaven for those who place their faith in Him. Jesus is indeed superior to all others. So we're going to go through several of those uh, just in a few minutes here uh, quickly. Jesus is better than the angels, He brings a better offering than the Mosaic Law. He's better than Moses. Jesus is better than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Jesus provides a better inheritance. So um, if we just want to walk through those, um, of course, in Hebrews, each of those uh, occupies two to three chapters of writing. And so you can go in the book yourself and read them. Uh, It's all there for you. I, I just have time this morning to touch on them. Uh, maybe point you in the direction that you would read and understand a little bit better uh, when you read it yourself, but Jesus is better than angels. Um, just one verse again there's there 's a couple of chapters that go back and forth in this whole topic but the the verse i 'll read to you uh, is Hebrews chapter one verse four uh, listen to to god 's word, so he became a much much as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So just kind of a summary statement. There's all kinds of words around that that talk about that and why that's so and help help us to understand that. Uh, I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to try to make it practical for us. So what did this mean in the year 65, 66, when the Hebrew Christians who were drifting back into Judaism uh, read it? Why was this important to say? Well, just like in many different times uh, they were there were people and then individuals who were claiming to have special messages from God from angels they were showing them the way to avoid the persecution and so if an angel tells you you know if an angel tells me that this is what our church should do then then it's probably what we should do right and uh and what 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 happens then is this person hears from an angel that says this and this person hears from an angel that says that and that person hears from an angel that says the other thing and we end up in conflict now god is not in conflict and i'm and and i'm not trying to say that people never hear spiritual messages but what the argument in, Hebrew, in Hebrews is not that angels don't speak to people. That's evident in the Bible. The argument is, hold fast to Jesus Christ, not to angels. They might direct you to Jesus Christ, and then that's a good message. But if they're causing you to, to, to divide your loyalties, you, we, we have that picture, you know, hold fast. But maybe there's a message over here that's relevant for me today it's a little bit different than Jesus message but that's okay cuz it's going to help me right now and then we get we get divided among ourselves and even within ourselves now we could we can read hebrews for ourselves i want to try to talk about what does this mean for us today and and this this is still so so relevant i mean it's not i broaden it from just angels specifically but just special spiritual messages now the one that Maybe we can all identify easily. Is the special spiritual message that says at exactly three thirty on Tuesday afternoon, if you've given the right donation and you touch the screen exactly when the when the preacher on the TV is praying the prayer, then you'll get a blessing and you'll you'll be healed and your problems will go away. Okay, that's a that's a message from an angel, and, and it's a special message that only the one preacher knows, and uh, and and. I mean, I hope we laugh at that, but I I wouldn't be surprised if there's people listening that have done that sort of thing, and I'm not trying to criticize you. Uh, Even back here in in the time when Hebrews was written, these kinds of things were happening. Uh, It's it's easy to go down those roads. But it's anything that comes with special knowledge, individual direction. Let me give you an example that's maybe a little more realistic. Uh, I was... uh, I was approached by a couple, a mature couple, who wanted me to marry them, was asking if I would perform their wedding. And I never say yes until I've had a chance for at least an hour, or maybe two, to talk with them. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why that is, after this experience. Um, they, they came into my study, and we sat down, and over the course of the conversation, um, I found out that the man was not quite through his divorce, and so the wedding would have to be after the divorce was finalized. And he wanted to marry this, this other woman, and he told a story, and it's going to sound a little corny when I tell it, because I'm not going to spend an hour telling it like he did. But he told a story about how in his previous life, he wasn't following God, and he picked a woman that wasn't God's will for his life. And so he had been contrary to God's will in his previous marriage, and now God had told him through a special message in a dream that he was to divorce the woman that God never intended him to marry and marry this new woman, because she was a Christian and the other one isn't. Now it sounds a little corny, but if you, if you listen to him, it actually was pretty convincing. Uh, he had, he had a, a testimony that went all the way through that. But I told the couple... Sorry, no, I won't marry you. Because I know what Jesus said. And Jesus said, if you even lust after another woman that you're not married to, you're sinning. And I don't care what your dream was or what your angel said. It's contrary to what Jesus said. Hold fast to Jesus. Now, I don't actually doubt that that man was a Christian and was on a path of discipleship. But I believe the right thing for me to do at that time in his path of disciples was to say, "You're listening to the wrong voices because they're contrary to Jesus." It all makes sense when you explain it the way you did, but it's not what Jesus said. And I go with Jesus. Now let's let's take a one that's that maybe even some of you experienced. Um, I'm not going to name names. Uh, I don't think that's appropriate. But I was at a conference in Edmonton. I, I mean, you'll all know what I'm talking about. Breakforth, I can say that name. And uh, we were at the, the big evening Friday night uh, special where that's packed out with people. Uh, singing was great. The the warm-up speakers were great. And then the, the main attraction came on, whom I'm not going to name. Has done good work for God over many years. Uh, he got up and... And the program had said what he was going to be talking about. And he completely threw that out because the previous night in his hotel room in Edmonton, he would had a, a prophetic dream, a message for Edmonton, special from God. And he proceeded to give that message. And as he spoke, people started to walk out the doors in droves. And as he spoke, uh, my... My memory of scriptures was peaked time and time again, where what he was saying was contrary to the scriptures. And uh, I didn't have anyone with me, thankfully, but I talked to many pastors afterwards who had brought with, because that's the event where you bring people who are curious or new Christians, and say, this is what it's all about. We sing together. We're a great crowd of people, a great crowd of witnesses, and it's so encouraging to be among so many Christians when you're just a new Christian and all your friends and family are against your new faith. So a lot of people had been brought there. And some of these pastors told me that the people they brought, they, they experienced that message, and they said afterwards, if this is what Christianity is, I, I never again want anything to do with it in my life. And the next morning, the organizer, well, another thing happened. The, the organizer sent the band out behind him to start playing, to so maybe he'd get the hint to, to get off the stage. And, uh, and the next morning, uh, the organizer of the conference, point by point, went through his message from the scriptures and showed the truth. But it was devastating. I was heartbroken. And I couldn't help but think what Jesus said. It would be better for you if you have a millstone tied around your neck and you're thrown into the sea than if you cause one of the least of these to stumble. I prayed for the speaker. I've read two of his books before that. I was looking forward to his talk. But I believe he got deceived by an angel that wasn't from God. And I, I pray that his ministry continues in strength after he sees what happened. I haven't followed it. I don't know. Hold fast to Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels. Now, I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm going to spend probably less time on the other points if you're looking at your watch and But but don't misunderstand me. I've had visions I believe are from God. I've had dreams that have spoken meaning into my life that I believe are from God. I frequently have intuitions that I believe are the Holy Spirit telling me which verse to read when I'm meeting with this person or that person in counseling. Don't misunderstand me. God speaks to us individually. But if all that stopped and I could still have Jesus, that would be perfectly fine perfectly fine. And whatever I hear from these special kind of messages, it better match up. I better bring it into the community of the church and ask you, is the message I'm hearing matching up with what you understand of God's word? And if it doesn't, it's not from God. Let's be careful. Not avoid. If God's going to speak to you specially and individually, absolutely. But don't let go with one hand from Jesus and say, I'm going to follow this too. If this helps you hold tighter here, it's good. If it starts to drag your loyalties away from the one hope, it's not a good thing. It's never a good thing. Jesus is better. So, let's go on. Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus has being found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house is greater of greater honor than the house itself. And uh, again, just one sentence out of a whole bunch of talk in Hebrews about this topic. But uh, it's really kind of logical, isn't it? Uh, Moses and the tabernacle in the, in the desert and the temple that followed and the laws around that, that was built by Jesus. It was Jesus who gave those messages. It was God who gave those messages to, uh, to Moses, and they were a shadow; they were a picture of what would come when Jesus came. Uh, and and uh, if you continue to read, it's in Hebrews. He, he makes this point uh, just just as good as anyone, well, better than anyone could, better than I could. So so just take a look at that. But what did it mean for them at that time? Well, they, as I said, I, the Christians were pretending to be Hebrew uh, in order to avoid persecution, and he's telling them. Be careful with this activity because being following Moses, following the Old Testament job is a full-time job. Full, Old Testament law is a full-time job. It's very difficult to stay fully devoted to Jesus while you're doing all these ritual things as a, as a Jew, as a Hebrew. Uh, it, they're, they're not in contradiction to each other. The gospel comes out of that history but and fulfills it, but, but it's, it's difficult to to hold on to both things. And so, um, so he's telling them, uh, don't, don't put your faith in that. And, and I think they were also, uh, in doing that, were picking up on the idea that in the Old Testament, the promise was, if you keep the law, you'll have victory over your enemies. And so there were, I think there was an element of, let's keep the law so that this persecution ends. And, uh, and, and the author of Hebrews is here is telling them Jesus is better. Uh, Jesus gives better promises. than And we get to that when we get to the inheritance one at the end here. But, but Jesus gives better promises than the Old Testament law. And so, and so uh, follow Jesus instead. Um, this doesn't have the same one-to-one uh, transference into our time as, as the angels did. But I still think it's very meaningful for us because we ourselves can easily fall into an idea that says, I'm going to follow this program. Now, I, I mean that word broadly. Uh, but but it, I'll, I'll just, instead of explaining it, I'll just give you an example, put myself in the hot seat instead of you, and maybe you can then translate from that into into temptations you have. Do you remember, uh, oh, it's, it's quite a number of years ago, but do you remember when... Uh, the Purpose-Driven Life came out. Some of you are nodding, and some of you weren't around in the church at that time. <laughs> Purpose-Driven Life kind of took over for a while. Everyone was reading it. Every home group was studying it, and it's a good book. Uh, it, it's, it's highly recommended. Not long after that, uh, out came from Rick Warren in the, the Saddleback Church, uh, the Purpose-Driven Church, directed more at pastors and and church leaders, and we all read that, and it's again, it's a book. I recommend it to any pastor, any church leader, any board to go through that, uh, the Purpose Driven Church. So I was doing that, was reading those things, and, and it was Breakforth again. We kind of have a theme here, but I went to Breakforth. This was before the previous story, uh, and, and uh, I, I took the Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church track. So you go to all of these, uh, all of these small seminars, some of them only for pastors and so on, to get trained in this, and and what Saddleback Church was doing at that time is they had branched out and they had satellite churches around the country and, in fact, around the world. And then they were offering this track for any church. So you, they obviously were successful, and God's done amazing things through that church because they started with three couples in a living room. And within 15 years or so, they had, I don't know what it was, 4,000 people in their church and then additional churches. And, you know, God did a mighty work, uh, no doubt about it um but the track went like this. If your church spent a, a subscribed to the program uh and it was it was a giveaway kind of price, not hard to, to to subscribe at all, then they would send you the material. So you'd get the, the training material for your small group leaders, the curriculum for your small groups, the matching curriculum for your Sunday schools, so your parents who were in small group could talk about the same things they were learning as their kids in Sunday school and, and, uh, and kind of uh, training for your board. And tra- like it was just an a, a all-encompassing thing. And, uh, and, it was so, it, it, and because the books were good and because Rick Warren's a good teacher... Heard him at Breakforth, and uh, at, I, I kind of I went I signed up for the two month trial before you have to pay money, and and like I said it's not a money grab it was very reasonable, um, and so I started getting this material emailed to me every every week and and for and every month and and I started trying to, to 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 work out how to do this and see if it would work for our church and and I I never signed up and and really mostly for two reasons. One reason is because what works in Southern California in a church with 4,000 members does not work in rural, rural Alberta. Uh, if, you, uh, if you expect a Sunday school teacher to follow this curriculum when she's a farm wife who arrives at church, if she's lucky, 10 minutes before church to prepare for the Sunday school class, it's just not gonna happen. Sorry, it's, it doesn't translate. Uh, The sermon outline, uh, irrelevant material for the people I was preaching to. But that's the smaller part, because that stuff can be translated and adapted with a little bit of effort. But the bigger part was this. I recognized in my own heart a letting go. Not my trust in Jesus, but my trust in Saddleback. And what comes with that, which was so tempting for me as a leader, was if it doesn't work, it's not my fault. I can blame them. Or I can blame you. You didn't follow the program. I gave it all to you, but you didn't follow it. I'm off the hook. I don't have responsibility anymore. And I saw that in my heart, and I said, No, we can't go there. We've got to hold fast To the hope. Not to other things. Not divide our loyalties. Even if it's good things. I recommend these books to anyone. It's good stuff. But hold fast to Jesus. He's better. It's good stuff. But Jesus is better. That's what Hebrews is telling us. Let's look for a a minute at the sacrifices. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 to 24. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So again, there's several chapters on this topic in Hebrews. These are just some summary verses. Jesus went into the actual Holy of Holies, the seat of God with his blood to offer, to pay, and sprinkle on our behalf for our atonement. That's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. Now, for the people that first read Hebrews in the first century, uh, there was a movement to restore, uh, not to restore, but to, to support the temple sacrifices, to, to become, for the Christians to join the Jews in being more, more Jewish in the culture and, and make that happen and, and facilitate all of that, uh, <clears throat> mainly to avoid persecution. I don't know what kind of things were happening between the Jews and Christians that were trying to do this. But this was going on. And so um, there was a, a movement in that direction. Now, how do we translate that to our days? And I, and I think I can do it. I think you'll understand this phrase. It's just a simple phrase. And it goes like this. Um, do the thing. You can put in that, in that thing whatever it is. How do you become a better Christian? How do you ensure that God blesses you? How do you uh, advance in your life? How do you make the right decisions? Just do the thing. Okay, so what's the thing? Well, there's so many, I could never mention them all. But one example that some of you might remember was another book that came out. Uh, It was called The Prayer of Jabez. Do you remember that one? I don't need to put up your hand. I, I mean, I read it. It's a good book. I recommend it. Um, But the, the thing that happened, and I actually don't think the author had control of this. I think this was the publisher trying to make money. But it became widespread that if you don't have blessing in your life, if you're not financially doing well, if your marriage isn't going well or whatever, just pray this prayer. This one prayer. Just pray it every day and all of those things will be solved. Just do the thing just like the sacrifice it's just just sacrifice oh if that if you if you didn't get what you wanted well maybe your maybe the bull you gave to the sacrifice was blemished the next year you bring a better bull just do the thing and god will bless you now that's just one example but but there's so many of them and 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 it's it's kind of like you know all these things are kind of in the same vein but but it's it's where we we stop pursuing a real relationship with Jesus Christ, we stop hanging on with both hands to the hope we have, and we say if i if I just do this thing right i don 't have to spend so much time on God because he 's going to be forced then to follow through on his promise, but just do the thing, whatever it is, uh, get baptized the right way, oh, you were sprinkled well you better get dunked or oh or, or maybe maybe uh Maybe uh, Pastor Marvin does communion kind of odd in different ways every month. Well, maybe if we just do it right, then we'll be, everything will come together. And we'll, you know, Just do the thing. We're not passing the offering plate. We've got it in a box at the back and our church all falls to the wayside and falls apart. Just, just get that thing right. Just do it right. Bring it back. Bring back the songs that we were singing when everything was blessed. I don't know. You can fill in the blanks. You know what they are for you. But that's kind of the temptation here. And Hebrews is telling us, my son is better than the thing. Whatever the thing is, hold fast to the hope you have because God is faithful. And We come to the last one, the inheritance. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first listened, learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when, you, when all you owned was taken from, you, accept, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. What did this mean for them in the first century? Well, as they were drifting back towards Judaism, bringing Jesus with them, you know, one hand in each, um, they were tempted to remember the promises the Old Testament promises. If you keep my covenant, if you keep my law, if you make the sacrifices, you'll be blessed in the land and your enemies will be defeated. And they were taking those on as Christian promises and saying, if we just do this, then the persecution will end. And he's, he's reminding them that that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus, the inheritance that he gives us is better because It's eternal. It doesn't depend on our bank accounts. It doesn't depend on whether we're persecuted or not persecuted. It doesn't depend on, the, on the, what's happening in the news today. It's eternal. It's in heaven. It's forever. It's a better inheritance. And, um, you know, I think you understand that. But just, uh, just to bring it to a close. As we we bring that all together again, there's a little bit more to the verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is the fruit. This is what comes out of what's previous. Let us consider how we might stir up one another to love and good deeds. If we hold fast to our hope, no matter what's happening around us in the culture, we'll be motivated towards love and good deeds. Not judgment, not condemnation, not hating our non-Christian neighbors, towards love and good deeds. If we do not waver, if we keep both hands firmly on our hope, um, the fruit of that holding fast will be good fruit, good works loving one another. God is faithful, and he will help us do this because we know it's his will. This is, this is not new to you. I can put it to you this way. This is our church logo, our church vision statement. This is what we're trying to accomplish together, what we're aimed at. United in Jesus Christ as we grow up in and out we put the verse there, let us consider, or sorry, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering from he who, for he who promised is faithful. Those words, not, spe- not exactly, but they, they, they hold together several elements of our logo. Um, our hope is Jesus Christ. The cross is the center. Uh, let us, not let you as an individual, but us together as a church, which is expressed in united and in the word we. We're doing this together. We understand that discipleship happens together, not alone. It's not a lone sport. And that's expressed in this verse in in Hebrews. And then the relationship up, the red arrow up, our relationship with God is where we want to grow uh, in one of our dimensions. And that's all expressed in that holding fast to Jesus and his promises and his faithfulness back to us Is a back and forth. As we hold fast, he is faithful. That's our relationship with God. And then we see in the end of it here, uh, and let us consider how we may stir one another, that's together, one another, that's the green arrow, to love. We love one another. Uh, The green arrow, growing in our relationships with one another in the church. And out of our deep and abiding love, the kind of love that that weathers the differences of opinions and and the idiosyncrasies and the struggles of our lives, the kind of love that holds through all those things. Because of Jesus, not our own love. And out of that, we do good works in the world. We reach out with the gospel to our neighbors and friends. I don't think this is a strategy that's sticking our head in the sand about current events. I believe this is the only way. This is the most countercultural thing you can do. Hold fast to the hope. We have because God is faithful and he will build out of us love for one another and good works in the world. You see, the the hearts of people don't change in mass. They change one by one by one. This is exactly what Jesus said. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast in a bread. It's the only way. That God has given for culture to be transformed. If we stay true to these simple things, then as we interact and bump into other people, they will be attracted to Jesus Christ. And as they hold fast with us, it will spread to more. I think if we've learned anything over the last year, we should learn this and just remember it for a lifetime. You know, this thing we don't even like to say the word anymore. COVID-19 you can get canceled, if I say it. Our live stream's down now. COVID-19. How does it spread? You have to bump into people and breathe the air they breathe. It's contagious. But how fast does it spread across the world? It doesn't take long. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's contagious. It only spreads when we bump into people with love and good deeds, breathe the same air, literally, in the same spaces with one another, sharing our love, and holding fast together to the things we believe, to Jesus Christ. But if a virus can spread by that means around the world in a year, why not the gospel of Jesus Christ? Of course it can. It's not only not sticking our heads in the sand and ignoring current affairs to say, no, we don't need to understand what's happening. We, need, we, we know what to do. It's right here in God's Word. It's not complicated. When fires burned in Rome and things turned bad for Christians, what did the Bible tell them? Read Hebrews. Hold fast to your hope because God is faithful and out of that holding fast will come love and good deeds. That's what you're supposed to do. It didn't say, go and change the government. I mean, I know from history that people who were in places of influence, Christians, did try to influence the government. Don't get me wrong, we each have a role to play in different ways. But that's not the main thing. Hold fast to our hope. That's how you change the world. Teach our children, encourage our neighbors, love one another, and do good works. This is God's plan. It spreads like a virus. It's contagious. But first we have to be doing it ourselves. And then as we bump into other people, it spreads. Let's pray for that spread. We, let's pray that the virus, the contagious gospel, or that the gospel will become contagious again. Many hearts in our culture are inoculated against the gospel because of experiences like what I shared at Breakforth. We haven't always been loving and good works, have we, as Christians? And when we're not, it inoculates people. It's like an inoculation that the gospel doesn't affect them anymore. Let's pray that the inoculation wears off in our culture. Let's hold fast to what is better.